Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Chase. I'm back with my co-host James, and we are here after a somewhat unexpected hiatus from At the Hive Live, which is part of the SB Nation Network of podcasts. We'll get into why we took so long between episodes in a second, and then after that, we'll be diving into the Hornets and what's been going on with the team as of late. But I mean, James, it's it's good to be back here with you. How are you? And uh, I, where where do we start with this explanation for the listeners as to why we took uh, 20, 28 days off between our last episodes? Our bad. Is kind of yes. what I say, right? Like, so first thing we should point out for those who don't know, we are volunteers, right? This is not a job. We all have our own things we have to prioritize. And it was not planned. I trust me, it was not planned for a month hiatus after three games of the NBA season. Trust me, it's not the way we wanted to do it. But between um, I went away on holiday, I then got engaged, I was then away for work, Chase got a new job. We actually recorded an entire podcast like two weeks ago, and um, I, I let's just say that, that some... was that wasn't our bad. That was my bad. Well, <laughs> that, that one was on me. It was, uh, so you know... yeah, yeah, James and I recorded a podcast, <laughs> and then I edited edited it in Audacity, and like, because so I started a new job. With, I work for the Maine Celtics, the Boston Celtics G League team, and I had to go work next day because they had their first home game which was like a 12-hour shift for me and I was just like rushing to go to bed and in that rush I just didn't send it to John who is uploads the podcast so that's my bad but you know that I'll, I'll, I have to take the blame for that because James had nothing to do with that he was just sitting sitting at his house waiting for the podcast to be uploaded and uh yeah and happened. then after that <laughs> I had um I had friends coming up to visit for a weekend who I'd not seen like since the pandemic started so look between all of that we are where we are. We are however many games into the season now. Hornets, I think, are 11 and 8. I should know mm-hmm. the exact. Is it 11 and 8, right? Yep, You're 11 and 8. Great. That was off the top of my head. I didn't even have that in front of me. So Hornets are 11 and 8. Last time we recorded, they were 3 0. The last podcast we actually recorded, which was like 10 days ago, like they were on a losing streak and things were looking bad. And we recorded the pod and things just completely flipped around. So in some ways, it's probably good that we can talk about things now without having to like do all the knee jerks of everything that's gone happening in the like, last few weeks. Like 
Is Ish Smith going to play ahead of Melo in fourth quarters? That was a thing for a few days. Um, is Miles Bridges going to be MVP? That was a thing for a few days. Um, is Mason Plumlee ever going to hit a free throw? That's still a thing. Actually. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say if you were going to follow that up with the same ending, but yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, but look, there's there's loads to talk about. We're going to jump straight back in. Uh, sorry, we've been away. We're going to be back on our like once every five to seven day schedule from here on out. Um, yeah, looking forward to good, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas season of hoops. Uh, it's going to be good. And the Hornets are playing some good basketball right now. Um, it's been, it's, it feels like how it was before the Hayward injury last year at the moment. Do you not think? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty good comparison to draw, honestly. Cause I mean, especially because they are like near the top of the league in certain offensive categories. And that's kind of like where they were with Hayward. It's not necessarily the same ones. Like they're what they're probably this. I think they're the second best three point shooting team in the NBA right now behind Brooklyn. Uh, they obviously they play extremely fast. You can get pace stats from kind of different places, but I think they're fifth in the NBA's pace stat. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're league leaders in the categories that uh, philosophically, I think that they would like to be like among the lead leaders. in. so I, I that's a good, pretty good comparison to draw. I hadn't really thought about that. Like, like yeah, that way, I, I definitely feel like the, the vibe, the, the fun element that's yeah. back, there's less stress, anguish, that is associated with the latter half of last year's season Hornets. So right now there's, there's definitely good vibes going on. And, and this is all without PJ Washington, who we think should be back probably any, any day now. Um, so it's been a, it's been an interesting time. Like there's been some really good wins recently, you know, beating the wizards twice, who are a good team, um, beat the Knicks. Um, there's been some pretty good wins against good teams. Indiana, we beat them again, uh, beat some of the Western conference teams had that really good homestand. Uh, really seems to be playing really well at home. And by the way, shout out to this year's crowd. Anyone listens to this mm-hmm. who goes to Hornets games, um, shout out Sombrero Man, shout out Charlotte Man, shout out everyone who goes to games. Like the crowd this year has been noticeably different from it's pre-pandemic been awesome. crowds. It's been really, really good, especially for like big games and big moments. Like everybody's loud, paying attention, screaming. It's It's been awesome. You can hear it on the TV. Absolutely. And I think I tweeted out the other day, the attendance this year has been way up. Um, from previous years so I look back at the attendance from kind of pre-COVID essentially and the Hornets are averaging I think they're 28th in the league with an average attendance of like 15 and a half thousand this year they are 15th in the league right so we're talking about moving up 13 places now the attendance is only 16 and a half thousand which you think well that doesn't sound like a huge difference like a thousand gap but if you keep in mind attendance across the league is down this year because of covid and there's a lot of people who still got some reservations going to crowded public places and stuff like that that's still like you know compared to the rest of the league moving up 13 places i think apart from the bulls i think it was the biggest jump of any fan base from from then to now um so yeah just really exciting times for for all the guys going to games it definitely comes across while watching the games the the hive is loud yeah, now I'm looking at the attendance stats right now. They, with the percentage of the stadium that they sell out is 86.2%. They're above the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are at 85.1% of their stadium is sold out every game. The Hornets are outselling the team that was in the NBA Finals last year at this point. That's definitely a good sign of the product that you're putting on the floor and really also like the outreach and like the engagement that they're or reaching or putting on for the fans and stuff like that. Now that the team is exciting, like the organization is like really taken advantage of that and has pushed it uh, to a pretty good degree for the market. I think that's done 
pretty well for that type of thing too. And I mean, those New Jersey's are pretty sweet too. So you always got that going for you. The Hornets design team has been excellent these last couple of years. They have since the Hornets brand come back and, you know, it's all great, but that guy, LaMelo Ball, I mean, he freaking helps. He's leading the char- <laughs> yeah, he's leading the charge. I, I, I'll oh, my God. I mean, the, the last stretch here, like last five games, LaMelo Ball has been all like unquestionably all-star level. Um, and actually his defense, that's the thing I've been like most imp- – that's really improved. Since like game one, first five games of the season, he was space cadet. And it is still not perfect, but you're telling me that he doesn't have his impact on every piece of the game. It's he's been incredibly impressive, scoring for himself, rebounding the ball at an incredible level, creating for others. He's he's looking really comfortable now, and he's stopped getting in that foul trouble. Like, and this is what we've talked about with Melo for so long is he just learns so quickly, um, and you can see that like the foul trouble is is just completely going away. He's learning when to get other people involved. He's learning this team needs rebounding, how to stay a little bit locked in on his man, off ball on the defensive end, when to make those gamble plays. It, it's not perfect, but the, the progress from game one and two at the start of the season to now is sizable. And it's like what we said last season, that you can't put a cap on the mellow ball right now. It, he's done so many things that are improbable that players of his age and experience level just are, cannot do. It's just you you can't say that anything is impossible for that guy. It's just incredible. The ability that he processes the game and the ability he can learn, is it's amazing. He is currently leading the team in rebounds, assists, and steals. <laughs> and he is second in points per game. He's at 19.8. Miles is at 20.8. Leading the team in three-point attempts at 7.3 and is shooting at 38.4%. So many of those are pull-ups, too. Like the efficiency at which he is scoring, the ri- the rim finishing has been le- left like some to be desired. But even yeah, when you're saying that, it's like almost in the perspective of like, oh, it's Lamelo, so he could be like way better than he actually is. He's not like terrible at it. He's just he could be better because he could. He's so good at everything else. You just know that he'll figure out the rim finishing eventually. Maybe it's just a matter of like size or something. That's kind of and he hasn't been able to put that on yet because he's still only 21 or 20 years old, but he has just been so incredible. I feel like you really can't like, like even articulate it with like super in-depth analysis because he's just so good to a certain point. It's just like, he's just going to, he's going to reach that tier of players soon, I think to where it's just like, yeah, that guy's just undeniably good. And there's still like areas that he can grow his game. Like you think someone with his size, he could be a matchup nightmare for opposing point guards. So, like, you know, I'm talking about five years down the line here, right? When his body's filled out, he's really comfortable in the NBA. Like, he can go away one summer and be like, I want to get a post game. Like, so that when I've got s- smaller guys on me, when I've got Trey Young on me, that I can post them up, isolate, and I can score. Or, you know, he's got the, the touch for, like, hook shots or floaters over people. He can pass out the double teams. Um, you know, if, if you want to do that, he could. He's also can shoot from such deep range and he's a good enough, like I'm not saying he's a good enough shooter, but his ability to hit hard threes off the dribble threes makes you think how the Warriors use Steph Curry, where he's like running off pin downs and he's got double defenders kind of jumping up at him to stop the shot. Melly was obviously not going to get that level of respect yet, but I can see him like being used off ball in that manner because he's just so good at kind of shooting it from deep. It's just so impressive. Some of the shots he makes you still have to recalibrate your own judgment to be like, 
if anyone else took that shot, if Cody Martin, Kelly Oubre, Miles Bridges, if any of them took takes the threes that Melo takes, you'd be saying, oh, what's what's he doing there? That's a bad shot. But with Melo, like, you're just like, yeah, that, that makes sense because I've seen it go in so many times. Yeah, and he's just had such a, like a control over the offense that it's it's almost like he he can afford himself these not like not even necessarily like he takes bad shots or whatever, but like errant looks like when you could get a better one, perhaps. Yeah, because, you know, the next time down the floor, he's going to he's going to, you know, he'll process that and be like, that probably wasn't the right move. I'll move on to something else. He never he's not a repetitive player at all, unless it's something that like is clearly working. But, you know, he's uh, the four or fourth in the NBA in touches right now per game at 88.4 behind Luca, James Harden. And Jokic, <laughs> fifth is Dejounte Murray, which is which I thought was kind of surprising. And I I did a little bit of a double take when I saw that, but I mean Lamelo, Luca, Harden, Jokic, like that's good company to be in as like a ball handler, like focal point of an offense. And they, they he he, I, it's really nice. So that is the Hornets have given him the keys to be that type of player in just his second season, and he's taken full advantage of it. I just I mean, it's it's funny because I think so many Hornets fans both as a rookie expected a lot of him and were blown away by their, by his performance still. And that might happen again this year. Like so far it has, like I even, I expected a lot, like I expected him to be really good. And he's been like really, really, really good. Like all-star level basically. And I like, and not that I thought, thought that that would be possible, but now it seems like it's more like, like almost like probable. And that's just, that's like insane to me. Yeah. I mean, just on it, I mean, I, you say he's uh, fourth in the league in touches. Like, I wouldn't also be shocked. I don't I don't have it in front of me. But if you look at deflections per game in the NBA, which I'll try and look up while we're on this. I was going to say, how do you find those, to just quick sidebar? Because I feel like like everyone wants to find that stat, but no one knows where to get it. It's on NBA advanced stats. If you go on players, if you go on hustle, you can look at deflections. And essentially, you can look at, like, all players in the NBA. So... Right now, I'm looking right here. We got Lamella. He's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth. Ninth in the NBA in deflections per game at 3.4. Guys ahead of him are like DeJounte Murray, Marcus Smart, Fred Van Vliet, the Anthony Melton, John, uh, Gary Trent Jr. leading the NBA. That's yeah, and uh, Caruso's leading the NBA too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he's top 10 in deflections, fourth in touches. He, I'm looking here. He's He's currently ranked eighth in the league in deep threes per game. Uh, he's got 53 deep threes. That's tied with Anthony Edwards, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, just behind Patty Mills, CJ McCollum, Grayson Allen, and then obviously Buddy Heald and, and Steph Curry are, are way out in front. But like he's just at the top of all these metrics. And he's, in his, he's 20 years old in his second year in the league. Um, it's just It's just amazing. It is so good. So... I mean, we've we've got off our little kind of lamello love here. We need to get into our three buzzing questions for each other. Uh, but I mean, look, there's always time to talk about lamello ball and his incredible development. So, absolutely, we'll carve that out whenever we need to. That is for sure. That is the Atha Hive Live guarantee. We will talk about lamello ball. Of course. Right. Some questions. It's been a while. It's been a while since we posted some questions to each other. We got a lot to cover, but we we've both come up with kind of three buzzing questions to ask each other. Um, I'm going to get it started. Chase, over the last two weeks, the Charlotte Hornets are a top two defense in the NBA. 
if you think back to those first five games, even though they were winning, the defense was definitely a work in progress. What's changed? I th- they've. I don't think this is the reason for the improvement necessarily, or not the whole reason, but they have thrown in a little bit of that zone again. Yeah. And I don't like ask ask this question again in February or March. We might be like the zone has ran its course. Like teams figure it out. Like it blah 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 it doesn't work anymore. They give up too many threes like they did last year. But right now it's working, and like the teams probably don't expect it quite as much still, even though the Hornets land it ran it last year. And it also helps that like players like Jalen McDaniels are much improved. Cody Martin, they have Kelly Oubre to throw out there and just be long and athletic. Basically uh, Lamelo's an improved defender. Like everybody miles even has improved. He can play like center defensively sometimes in, in a pinch against certain lineups now. And like pretty much everybody has taken a step forward as well. I mean, that's probably like the bigger reason is just players have gotten better on that. And just generally, and as the season went on, like, they got more used to whatever Borrego and the coaching staff were asking them to do on that end. And they've gotten much better. But I mean, I remember when we went to record um, the podcast that is just lost in time. I think it was after the Sacramento game, they were the 30th defense in the league. Like they, they were just yeah. bad, like flat out bad on that end of the floor. And now I think they've climbed up to 22nd and that was, I think six or seven games ago. So, I mean, that's a pretty good margin to, to cover over that. I mean, I know there was a win streak, but and they have, but they held two teams under 100 points in that win streak. And like, I know that's not like super, super impressive out of like seven games, only two under 100. But for the Hornets, like that's yeah. a vast improvement. And it's not like they've played Detroit, Houston. Yeah, like good Pelicans. teams. Yeah, like they held the Knicks to like under 100. Yeah, they've played good teams who are going to be in the playoff hunt. Wizards, Pelicans, like. Warriors, um, they've played some good teams here and they, they've played well defensively. I think you mentioned some really good points there, okay? The zone defense, definitely being more of it. Um, it was weird how it wasn't really used in like the first five games. Of the like, not at all. Um, I like forgot about it. And then, like, I, I saw them use it. I was like, wait a second. Like, they did that a lot last year. Yeah. Too. And I, d- I don't know if they've used it more because the defense started off so poorly or if it just took them a while to embed it in. But you think they'd embed it in training camp. So yeah. that's, that's an interesting one. And I think the thing is, I don't think that zone is just going to be a gimmick that like becomes less impactful. It was impactful all last year. And what I think is so good about it is you don't know when the Hornets are going to run it because they always, it's always, but well, it generally comes out of a timeout or a game break at some point and they line up in man. So the other team don't really know what's going to happen. And then as soon as the ball is inbound, they go into that matchup zone. And then, what they're so well drilled at, Borrego essentially just does that little kind of whistle. And when he whistles, they switch to man. And just having like everyone switched on and knowing what defense you're playing and changing kind of mid-possession, you just see it throw teams off when they think like, oh, I'm not going to get doubled here because it's, wait, what What all of a sudden there's a guy here? He shouldn't have been here. I thought we were playing zone. Oh, wait, it's man now. Like it's, it's super impressive how they do that. Um, so, and I think they're going to continue playing small because they've had success with it. The use of that zone and playing small. And you mentioned about Miles Bridges playing center. Those minutes have been good. Miles Bridges and Jalen McDaniels playing center plus 18.8 this year for those two for, uh, playing center and power forward. Super impressive with those two in the game. He McDaniels kind of adds a little bit more length and rebounding that, that kind of Miles lacks as kind of a, a strong but not a super long guy. So those two have been super impressive. 
Um, a couple of things here. The, the Hornets are doing well in possession battle, fourth this year in turnovers per game. They're not turning the ball over that much. And for the last two years, they've been a high turnover team with, you know, they pass the ball a lot, they turn the ball over a lot. That has not been the case this year. They're one of the best teams in the league of looking after the ball and also top 10 and forcing turnovers for other teams. So you, they're looking after it, they're forcing others to turn over. That's, that's a, a fantastic method. Other thing, opponent's three-point percentage, third worst in the league right now. Hornets, whether that's luck, I can't tell you. Um, I, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think the three-point defense has been great. Washington, especially in their two games, have missed some really open looks. But they're doing well kind of limiting opponents' three-point percentage and then forcing a lot of mid-range jumpers. I think they they force the fifth most mid-range jumpers in the NBA right now. So not letting guys in the paint. It, it kind of feels when Harrell and Gafford are, are playing inside and dunking offensive rebounds. It feels like they're getting inside every possession. But they just the statistics are telling you they aren't. It's just when they do, it looks so easy that you kind of it you think it happens all the time, but it's just simply not the case. Jalen McDaniels per cleaning the glass right now is the 77th percentile in the NBA in defensive points per possession. He's like he's positive 6.3, or the Hornets are when he is on the floor uh, yeah. defensively. I mean that the only people that are above him right now are Mason Plumley and Miles Bridges. And I wanted to, to talk about Mason Plumley because he like uh, the the fan base probably turned on him. In almost entirely in the beginning of the season to the point where he probably won't be able to redeem himself in the eyes of some people, but he has been so much better lately than he was at the beginning of the year. It was kind of clear that he like, especially offensively, like just wasn't like comfortable yet. And like, wasn't really, cause he was a, like a pretty predominant ball handler in Detroit. Like he, he was one of their better players last year and he had the ball in his hands quite a bit, even as a big man. And that's just not really going to happen this year. And so he has to make the most of it when he does have the ball in his hands. And that has really, his passing especially has really improved lately. And he had that one in the fast break where he was handling the ball against the wizards and then jumped and turned around and kicked it to Terry on the three, three point line for a three. Like there, there just aren't that many big men that can make a play like that. So it does help to have him out there now that he's like, got gotten more comfortable defensively and is at least like a capable rim protector as a starting center. I mean, the Hornets still have like a bit of an issue in the middle. I mean, even though Nick Richards has also been pretty decent in the minutes that he's been getting over this recent stretch, but I, I had to give a shout out to, to plum dog billionaire. He's, he's definitely gotten gotten better from when he, at the beginning of the season, when he was yeah, just probably not very good. He there probably was probably an element, standard. there's an element of COVID recovery there, right? Like he, he had COVID. Hmm. Um, he missed a lot. Of I completely forgot about that. That's probably a very good point. Yeah. I have to say, I probably disagree with you a little bit. I've, I don't think Plumlee has been awful. I do not think he's been good. I think he's been a perfectly fine, but like, if I'm thinking playoffs here. Oh yeah. Mason, Mason Plumlee is getting played off the floor in the first two playoff games. I just, I just don't see it finishing any other way. Um, his free throw shooting is still completely abysmal. He's rebounding at the worst percentage of his, his career, defensive rebounding. Um, I'm just still not at all Im- impressed, really. Uh, I, I, I do understand there's like flashes where he has good rim contests. And like even that fast break the other day when he was dribbling up, I was thinking, where is this going? And like a lot of those positions, possessions kind of, I seem to think end in a turnover. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not, I, I've seen this kind of, 
I think I'm somewhere in the middle between. I don't think he's just like terrible and he needs to be benched, but I also don't think he's been good. I think he's just been like the bare minimum of okay. And uh, he's still got a way to improve himself to me for him to prove that he's going to be, you know, the starting center for the Charlotte Hornets for the next two years and going into playoff series. I'm, I'm still not convinced yet. Oh, that's definitely true. I understand that. But to put it one way, the, the bare minimum of being fine is like probably an improvement for the Hornets general center rotation over the last couple of years. So at least we've got that. All right. Wait, is it my turn now for the. Yeah, you go. Rebuzzing? Okay. All right. So this will this will lead in pretty well. And I, I've, I've been wanting to have this discussion with um, like Cody Martin's general improvement and miles as well. Who is the, just the best overall defender on the Hornets or defensive player? I'd have to go Cody Martin. Um, okay. it, it was really interesting last night that Miles Bridges started on Bradley Beal in that Wizards game, like giving him the hardest defensive matchup right, right off the bat. And he, you know, I think Miles is probably your more versatile. Oh, I'm talking myself into it now. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's your more versatile defender. Like he can guard Bradley Beal and then he's guarding like boxing out Daniel Gafford and Harrell on the other end when they go small. But just watching like like Cody Martin, I can't remember which game it was, but he scored zero points and was like a plus 22 in one of the games. And he had like blocks and deflections and charges. And the 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 energy of the game just changes when he's in there. And um, I, I think he's the best pound for pound defender on the team. And, and that was never really in question. Like I probably, if you ask me going to the season, I probably would have had him 1B behind Kelly Oubre. The big problem with, with Cody Martin was the offense. And I mean, he's just taken incredible strides there. Um, even he's never going to be a high scorer, but you just watch the games and he's just making good things happen on the offensive end time and time again. But uh, but yeah, I, I'd say Cody Martin. I'd, I've given him the edge. What are your thoughts? See, I was going to lean Miles basically for the reasons that you said was that he's yeah. like, he's the more versatile defender now. Like you really, I mean, you're not going to throw him out there at center and be like, this is our preferred matchup, but you can do it. We saw at, against the Wizards and pretty much in uh, pretty much in every game since PJ has been out for at least like a couple minutes at a time. And then he can guard, he can defend guards, he can defend wings, he can hold his own in the post against like another like four, like a strong small ball four. There, I mean, he's not, he's certainly not like an elite NBA defender or any anything like that yet, because the Hornets probably just don't really have one of those on the roster. But he's definitely, I, I, I definitely think he's become like the best defender on the team. I, I know Cody Martin is probably the most aggressive and like the most maybe like impactful or something in like the minutes that he plays. But I think like over, I mean, Miles last night, or not last night against the Wizards, I think he missed like 10 shots and played 41 minutes. So, I mean, if you're just throwing up bricks all night and your coach is keeping you in the game for all but seven minutes, you're doing a lot right on the other end. Like we've seen Borrego will be, will put, he will put someone else in if you're not playing well and someone else is. And I think Miles is kind of just at the point where, the Hornets kind of just need him on the floor, even if he's not shooting well. And despite his really great start to the season, he has not been shooting well at all this last these last couple of weeks. He's kind of came came crashing down a little bit, even though his like per game averages and stuff are still really good. But he's at like 32 percent from three beyond the year. I think in these last five games, it's only like 25 percent or yeah. something like that. So and I, I think that'll even out like I'm not being like, oh, Miles is a bad shooter now. But I mean, he'll 
whatever the opposite of regression to the mean uh, or like progression to the mean, I think he'll get, he'll get back to that eventually. But yeah, I, I think you're right. It was like Cody Martin. It's really easy to look at him and go, Oh, he's trying hard in defense. Yes. The, the style he plays full court. Picks he always has up. his arms like fully spread out. Like, yeah. A, yeah. Gets into the body. Whereas Miles is a little bit different because he doesn't look like that, but he allows you to do so many things defensively. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a good I think it's a good conversation. I do think it's a good conversation. I think I think Miles didn't probably have like the offensive workload. I mean, his usage right now is high. I think 88th percentile in usage uh, for for bigs. Um, if he wasn't probably having such high offensive usage, I'm sure he'd be even better defensively. But you know that's something that he's trying to trying to focus on at the minute, and it kind of using a lot of energy on that end. So, um, okay, next up, this is kind of going a little bit against your your Mason Plumley point. But Chase, do we need to play Nick Richards more? And keep in mind, we are we are graduating from a place of summer league to preseason where people are going, "What's Nick Richards doing out there?" This is generally, do we need to play Nick Richards more? See, this is perfect because my next question was, will Nick Richards last in the rotation when PJ Washington <laughs> returns uh, from injury, which we think should be soon because he was he was listed as doubtful right now. So, I mean, I'm, he, he might not come back next game, but the next couple games, pr- yeah. presumably. Um, but yeah, I mean, like. I don't like I think he he might he might end up being like a long term rotation piece for this team just because he's a really good offensive like rim roll partner for LaMelo, which is something that I, I mean, I didn't really expect that for, I mean, I knew that that was kind of like his thing. If he were to be a good offensive player, he'd probably be a good rim roller, like lob threat for LaMelo, but I just didn't have expectations for that this season. He's been solid enough defensively. He's big and athletic and he plays hard and he sticks his hands up and he puts his nose under there. And then on the other end, he sets nice screens, rolls to the rim actively uh, he's always he's has decent hands, which is something that the Hornets centers have not experienced in the I don't last. I think couple. he's got decent hands. I'm sorry. I think I'm they're gonna... okay. No, maybe it's. Just, I'm just. I think we're just conditioned. I don't know. I think he's fine. He he this, hasn't. This is something dro- that I've he heard. hasn't had any egregious drops. I don't think. This is something I've heard Borrego talk about before. Is like him needing to improve the strength of his hands, and I was like, what does that even mean? And then I watched him play, and I was like, I don't even know what it means, but I kind of get it. Like he. People dig that. He doesn't drop passes. Okay. I think right, this is yeah. here. He doesn't drop passes like Bayumbo, right? The problem with Richards is he gets the ball, he goes up to the dunk, and like a point guard will like reach in and just slap the ball out of your hands. And you're like, how is, you know, how is this six foot guy just reached in and tap the ball out of Richards' hands and create a loose ball? Why is Richards not just like ripped through it and then dunked it? And that, I guess that's where I think maybe we're talking difference here. Like, I agree yeah, he's better at. Catching lobs, and but for me, it's like as soon as he gets in any traffic whatsoever, like he just seems to get the ball slapped away from him really easily. So maybe there's slightly different things we're talking about there. Yeah, I, that's that's probably true. I don't, he may, he's not like a super like forceful player down low yet or anything like that, and that probably contributes to it. But I think that might have something to do with just like confidence and not having been like a long-term rotation piece yet still kind of getting his feet wet on that end probably learning how to play with these guys in like an actual game setting but yeah well we'll we'll see we'll have to see if that improves throughout the year and we'll 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 go back to it but what kind of related to your question then if we tackle at the same time so my question was do we need more nick richards you said will he still be in the rotation with pj's back i mean 
just in terms of like rim protection, 95th percentile in terms of block percentage, like really active defensively, getting dunked on a lot, but also blocking and altering. That, that's a good thing for a big man. That's a yeah. good, I'll take that from your backup center. If he's going to jump with everybody, like, yeah, that's a, that's a start. <laughs> he, he can't secure a defensive rebound to save his life. <laughs> he, is, <laughs> yeah. he is in the sixth percentile in defensive rebounding. And the, this is a real problem here. And I, I heard the Buzzbeat guys talking about this the other day that he, and, and it was something I'd already noticed and I wanted to bring up. So I'm, I'm happy to give them some credit as well. But like, he just can't play that cat and mouse when the guard dra- dra- drives to the rim and the kind of big is on his back. You need to be able to play that like in between where you're, you're putting the guard off from getting a layup and shooting, but you're not overcommitting and leaving up the offensive rebound with a lob. And at the minute, he just like gives one or the other. He kind of lets the guard go or he overhelps, tries to block the shot and, and people come coming in. And, and then he keeps losing that defensive rebound position just because he's trying to block absolutely freaking everything. So he needs to learn on that. Like this team needs defensive rebounding. He needs to cut out the stupid offensive foul screens and the other stuff he just seems to kind of always give away one or two like nothing's even happening and the ref's whistle goes and suddenly it's a turnover and you you don't really even know what happened and normally Richards is at the heart of that so he just needs to clean up his game a little bit but if he can improve his defensive rebounding like there's still I still think there's shooting potential there he shot what was it 50 percent on one and a half attempts per game from three in the G League last year which Okay, he's not a 50% shooter, but like it looked pretty clean. He's a good free throw shooter this year. I think Borrego wants to simplify the game for him right now. He doesn't want him losing confidence for missing wide open threes and another team's baiting him and leaving him open. Like what well, how used to happen to Cody Zeller? Like, and he just kind of stopped shooting them. He wants to simplify for the game from right now. And I think that is something, whether it's this season or in the seasons to come, I do think you'll start to see him stretch that out a little bit, but just when he gets a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, he's 15 for 22 from the free throw line, like throughout his entire career, both this year and last year. So, yeah, that the touch is, is there. It's just a matter of comfortability in a in a game setting. But so I what are you thinking backup center wise then with PJ coming back, Nick coming back? What are your thoughts? I don't know. I feel like right away, Nick will probably still be in the rotation. Maybe I may if if only because PJ might maybe he won't play like full minutes right away or something like that. But I mean, like Borrego's. I feel like his thing is always like, you have to give me a reason to take you like out of the lineup if I put you in. Cause like you can't, you, you can't just like be like, Oh, I'm going to put this guy in because like, he's good. Even if you're good, like you're already out there, you're already playing, you've already developed chemistry and, you know, earned a place in the lineup and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't think he'll just like drop Nick out and then not put him back in for a while. But I mean, it's, you just at a certain point, you just have too many guys to play like real minutes in a game. So I don't, well, that'll that'll be pretty interesting to follow in the next couple of weeks. The other anyway. option is that you play Richard and you play PJ, and mm-hmm. either with playing PJ at the four and not the five, that's an option, or you play PJ at the five in the minutes that Miles Bridges has been playing the five, and there's still been enough minutes in this game for Nick Richards to log minutes at center and miles bridges log minutes at center so you could just cut down the miles minutes That's and get true. them both in there which I, I i think he might do a bit of mix and match and kind of see how pj is see see how he plays um and kind of go from there really and, and like you said i think it's perfectly reasonable like you said like you don't want to just you want to give you want there to be a reason why you suddenly bench someone because 
you have to think that player who's in the rotation, you want them to understand what you're doing. And if you just do it out the blue and you've been playing well and you've not done anything wrong, it, it makes you lose your trust in the coach of, well, I've done everything they've asked me to do and I don't even get the chance to prove for me to remain in the rotation. So you give them the chance to prove it and you evaluate and you go from there. Exactly. And I, I think the Hornets coaching staff is pretty good at that type of thing. So I think that'll, that'll work its way out for, for better or for worse. So I don't know what it is, what it will be yet necessarily, but I, and I think to your point, I definitely think it'll be cutting back miles and minutes. He's averaging 36.8 minutes per game right now. Mm. That, that's a lot. That's just a lot. That's and Hayward's at Hayward's at 34 and a half, which is yeah. also kind of a lot. I think b- both of those w- would probably go to, yeah, I now I, you're probably right. Like I bet you they'll, they'll find a way to keep Nick. They'll probably cut everybody's minutes like a slight bit. And then that will pull up to, you know, the 10 or 11 minutes that, that Nick will get at center. And, and hopefully you see those bridges, efficiency numbers bump back up with those little bit less minutes, maybe a little bit less usage. True. Um, that, that I think that would be the hope on there. You just counting stats will probably go down, but in the grand scheme of things, percentages go up. Um, okay. Chase, what is your, we kind of tackled two and one there. So that was good. Good for time. What is your last buzzing question for me? All right. So this one isn't necessarily phrased like a question, but my question is just Kelly Oubre. What do, well, that guy, like, what do, what do, what do we, what are we doing with that guy so far? Like he, he is a career high three point percentage and uh, a career high on a career high volume. So that's pretty good. The defense hasn't been quite what we expected, especially at certain points, but then at other points, it's been like pretty good. So what, what are your, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Kelly Oubre so far this year? It's been a roller coaster, much like Kelly, the, the whole season, but. The Kelly roller coaster Oubre is the right. Um, I think he's just going to be one of his players his whole career. I, I just have no idea how we've got to this point where he is still effective, but in completely the opposite way of everyone thought he was going to be. Yeah, everyone like, thought he was going to be yeah. the energy kind of defensive wing stopper and he's been not that, but a offensive <laughs> spark plug three point specialist. That's all I can describe yeah. it. And we did not see that coming. I mean, this is some some of the points I made on our last pod, which never made it. But this year's block percentage for Kelly Oubre is nineteen percent. Right? Normally, in the years of his career, he averages somewhere between seventy three and ninety percent. You were talking about a monumental drop in block percentage, and that that's. What's what we thought we are getting? Like high blocks, high steals, defensive event creation. We have not got at all. His steal rate, always been good between 60 to 80% for his position. This year, 40%. Like, I don't know if it's role. I don't know if it's that he's not taken as much pride defensively, I have to say. I don't feel like he's always super engaged and into the game defensively and is giving it his all. I'm just being honest, like, unless... It just doesn't look like that to me when I, when I watch the game, especially when you see him next to Cody Martin and you see how he's playing defensively. That's what I used to see from Oubre in his Phoenix and Washington days. And I think maybe because he's having such success on the offensive end, he's like, that's where his focus is. And I still think the team needs him, even though the team has been good defensively, they still need him in that role. And he's just not provided that level of, of defense or perimeter defending at all. Like, I know, I know you've talked before a little bit about how maybe because a bigger portion of his minutes have come at guard rather than shooting guard, rather than the small forward or power forward than in years past. Um, that could be having some impact, but 
I don't think that's, you know, covering up everything. I don't think it's just simple as, oh, we're moving to small forward and all of a sudden all those numbers back back to normal levels. I think he's generally changed how he is playing in the NBA. And I still can't figure out if it is... Look, if, if the shooting keeps up, it's fine. As soon as this three-point shooting drops, like, I'm beginning to think that James Booknight should be getting in the rotation because Cody Martin should be taking the Ubre minutes and then you're looking at the Ubre Buck Knight sharing the wing rather than Ubre uh, Cody Martin at the moment. But right now his three-point shooting is so good on high volume, high percentage that you have to keep him in the rotation. Um, but I, I definitely think there's some, you know, if we're getting into a barren spell here, there could be cause for concern. Yeah, and I, I definitely, I do think he's probably the guy to get his minutes uh, pulled if they're to put Book Knight or maybe even Kai Jones in the rotation at some point. But he it it has been like indescribably inconsistent at times and i know that like a lot of warriors fans were like that was like they were like screaming it from the rooftops being like that is like he is just hot and cold you won't get the same kelly Oubre two games in a row but i was like fully expecting him to shoot like 31 percent from three this year or something like that and just basically be like a transition scorer and just not really be effective on offense at all but it's basically, yeah, it is basically flipped around. And that's kind of how he is on defense. Like he's just not making an impact really at any, I can't remember. He, I think he had like four or five steals in one game, but can you remember any like game that like Kelly Oubre left like a, an impact on defensively? I really can't. And it's nope. been mostly just out three point outbursts, like hitting like four or five, six in a game or something like that. And it's just not what we expected. And like you said, if it doesn't matter what we expected, because if he still does this, like that's fine and it's helping the team. But like it will, he will need to be the like energetic, like event creation defender that he has been at certain points in his career. If the three point shooting trails off, like any, because it, it already has dropped like a percentage or two over the last, I think, week, because there was that one. I think he got like a Bleacher Report tweet uh, saying like, oh, Kelly Oubre is averaging a career high. Like it was that he was at like 39% when they tweeted it. Uh, and the, the volume was still really high too, but it has gone down a little bit. And I mean, a 36.6% is still fine, but you know, there's always a chance because he's never been like a full season consistent floor spacer. And that's, that's his best skill right now. So, and if that, if that goes away, yeah. then Borrego would have to reevaluate the rotation yeah. a little bit. And just to back up, like you said, like, well, what, when has he made that impact defensively? I've just been looking up last year, Ubre was 23rd in the league in deflections per game at 2.7. This year he's down to 1.9 and that's somewhere between like 80th and hundred, like in the league. And yeah, he's probably dropped minutes a little bit, but he's just not the same energetic defender. And, I, I don't know if he's lost athleticism. I, I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm at a complete and at a loss. I, I have no idea. I have no idea what is going on. And is it going to change? Is this just the calibre we're going to get? Um, it's a bizarre, it's one of the most under kind of under the radar bizarre storylines of the NBA season. Like there's not often someone just flips through the arrow as a player like Ubre House.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so do you have another three Yeah, my questions? last one is just a, it's just a quick one, and I just All want right. to touch on it. Um, James Buckman right now, uh, third in the G League and scoring per game at 29 points per game. Um, looked pretty solid. What are your thoughts on him? Like, do, do you think he's when, – when do we think we can expect him in the rotation? Also, I just want to shout out – what's the opposite of a shout out? NBA G League stats pages, you suck. That's what I'm just going to say. Like, <laughs> you, you shouldn't say anything on this because I know you're technically probably like a genius. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, was, I wasn't going to comment. Yeah, I, I, can, yeah, I, I legally I'm, cannot I'm just going to speak for – this is James Plywright's opinion. This is not at the high vibe. It's <laughs> not Chase my opinion. Like, why can't I just go on the G League website and look at James Booknight's stats? I can do it for some players, not James Booknight. Like, just sort it out. It's not, a bit, it's not a hard thing. You want people to talk about your league? Let people go on and access the stats. But – yeah, it, it does normally work, but at the minute, it is not for some reason. It's frustrating as hell, the G League stats page. It's always just inconsistent. But um, he has been borderline unstoppable uh, for the Green Swarm. Played really well, scored at a good level. Playing a lot of primary ball handler. Um, I, th- I think he'll get run at some point in the season. He's going to get the opportunity. But I, I love what I'm seeing from him in Greensboro right now. Kai Jones, foul machine, JT Thor, inconsistent. Scotty Lewis, Arnoldus Kaboka, just kind of not that much deal, great deal going on right now. But yeah, anything kind of stuck out from the, the Swarm games or, or highlights you've been able to see yet? I haven't gotten to watch, like, I got to watch one full, I think it was the first game of the season, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Swarm game. But I haven't, I haven't really gotten to watch much of James Booknight. I saw that sick dunk that he had uh, off of that, that tomahawk that he had on the baseline. That was pretty cool perfect example of his athleticism again he gets to show that in the g league and where he's is going to get opportunities in the open in open court and to handle the ball off of like live rebounds and stuff where he's just not going to get in charlotte very important for a player like him who's like ball dominant and a, a scorer and needs rhythm to establish rhythm to be an effective player to get those types of reps instead of just sitting on the bench and watching like i i, I always remember when Dwayne bacon said in his rookie year He's like, yeah, you don't really gain all that much from like sitting on the bench. Like I, I like playing basketball. And like, I mean, I, th- I think that especially because Dwayne is also like a ball dominant, like likes to have the ball in his hands and put some shots up type of player. Like that definitely it carries over to book night as well. I don't know when he'll be in the rotation or anything like that, but I do. I I think it'll I, he'll probably be in the rotation at the end of the year, I, whether it's like as a semi permanent member like sometimes he plays sometimes like Jalen McDaniels plays or Cody Martin or something but at a, he has been playing really well in the G League and if at any point offense is something the Hornets need I would not be surprised at all if he's like the guy they go to instead of Ish Smith this time or something because early in the year like you probably can't go to book night game three or whatever or game two oh, I think it was playing as well as it is right and, yeah and you know the, we talked about the, the team needed in recent times, it's found success in the last couple of weeks due to its defense. And 
Cody Martin, who's like probably the most likely comparison for minutes to be taken away, him or Ubre. Like, I know we just bashed Ubre's defense, but I'd still expect him to be better than Book Knight at this yeah. stage in his rookie year. If only because he's six seven and Book Knight's like six four, six five. Yeah, and he knows NBA schemes and he's probably a little bit less turnover prone, so helps in possession game. Um, all I will say is like if you look at the guys drafted around Book Knight. You've got Wagner, Davin Mitchell, Zaya Williams, Josh Primo, Duarte, Moody, Kispert, Shingun. Um, I am not, I have no regrets right now about drafting James Buck Knight. Like none of those guys, I'm sitting here going, oh my God, like we completely missed on that. It's a, a complete disaster. Some of those guys have shown some nice bits. Shingun especially has been looking good. Wagner's had his moments. Wagner, Wagner, I always correct myself. I, I know yeah. it's Wagner, but I always do it no matter what. Um, David Milchers has some moments, but look, I, I don't think people need to be worried because Buck Knight is not playing. Like the rest of the teams just aren't as good as the Hornets. Um, and you know, even like Josh Primo drafted 12, he's playing in the G League, and the Spurs have like won three games all the season. So um, don't you don't need to worry about Buck. He's gonna be, he's gonna score, he's gonna be as Terry Zier said preseason, he's gonna be special. He's not gonna win record of the year, but he's gonna be a good player for this team down the road. And I'm pretty firmly believe that, and like by now. If you don't believe in this team's player development plan and philosophy, I mean, you're, you're just not, you're just never going to buy in and you're always going to be someone who criticizes coaches for, for not playing people because this team has done, this franchise has done everything you could ever want from a player development point of view over the last four years. Exactly. They're, they're a developmental franchise. They're not a, we drafted you. So you play 20 minutes per game and you, you know, you go out and go eight for eight tonight and you can go over eight tomorrow. Like, the Hornets, they're playing to be a consistent, like successful team that built is building like a culture. And James Book Knight is getting his taste of that with the swarm right now. And for real, I, the, the swarm, I think in a couple of years, I think this will be the case. But like, I feel like the general NBA community is just needs to view like the G League teams as just like a very, very close extension of the pro team. Like, the the swore the, the like the they have sent book night kai and jt to greensboro and back in a day to practice multiple times so clearly they're not using this as like a oh we're sending him down to the minor leagues so he can improve his game or whatever they're just being like yeah he just want he needs time against pro basketball players this place is two hours away he's gonna be the best player on the floor there let's go send him up there why not like it, it's really like it's it's such a good thing for these guys to have and i think in a couple of years like it won't be looked upon as like badly because like yeah that's the only reason people are really like frowning upon it is because well, it's like I, it's, I think it's a very I, like. I think it's a very like this might i don't want this to come across condescending i think it's quite a u.s based way to view things like that like in europe a lot of teams have second teams or partner clubs who the yeah no ex- yes at. exactly and it's it's not a demotion it's like it's obviously a key part of development um but i I the way I hear some people in the US talk about things like you say is it's a demotion you're it's, relegating yeah, and, it's so weird and players react to it in a certain way being like they feel like they're disrespected by being assigned and um I just I yeah I I think in a couple of years that'll go away just because like yeah so I think so many players now like that have are like successful like Terry played in in the G League his rookie year all the time and he just signed a contract that's a hundred million dollars like Pascal Siakam played in the G League like uh, like so many of these really really elite players 
have had that like extensive experience, not just playing one game there when they are rehabbing an injury or something. Mm-hmm. I think a couple, a couple of years that hopefully will go away because like the, the, the negative stigma is, is a part of why, like, like nobody would be worried about James Booknight right now. If you didn't have the negative stigma of the, just him not playing for the NBA professional club right now, even though he's a rookie, because he's playing really well with the, with the, with the swarm. He's doing like exactly what you would be want, want him to be doing but he just can't do that with the Hornets. Like if you want your team to be good, you also can't play all of your young players 30 minutes a game and give them shots. Like it's just not those two things just don't overlap like ever, unless you have Luka Doncic on your team or something, but I, you know. All right. Well, I think that, uh, that does it. We've got, what is it? Orlando. We're at Orlando this week, Um, Minnesota and Houston back to back this weekend. So Hey, opportunity! Opportunities there for for the to get some more wins. Heading yeah, I mean up. that could, that'd be a four game streak if they take those three. The four, one, two, three, four, five. That'd be I think six out of our ten out of eleven. I think that they'd be it, winning. It would be if they did. I, I I think Minnesota probably you know they've been playing some better basketball. As yeah, of they have. And Orlando's also like they're a hard team to play against. Not they're not they're not good, but yeah. they don't roll and over. And then after that, it gets really tough. Chicago, Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Philadelphia on a back to back twice so yeah after that it's definitely gonna be tough so yeah it'd be good to kind of try pile up some wins here on a couple of teams that'd be that'd be good good end to the week and look a lot of teams have got better in the east the likes of the Sixers, milwaukee they're going to keep going up the standings hornets need to keep trying to pile on wins early in the season if they can get through this december stretch a lot of road games heavy road schedule in december if they can get through that into the new year in a a good position we're, we're feeling good about things again Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about it before we got on the show, and I've I just forgot while we were having our conversation. But the team, the Hornets are in fifth right now, but they have Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Atlanta all below them. So they're obviously the cream will rise to the top eventually. Like Milwaukee is better than the oh, yeah. Hornets. Like like they're they're going to finish probably in the top two in the East at some point. It's just a matter of when they get healthy. Uh, I mean, if the Sixers end up trading Ben Simmons for a good haul or whatever, like they could come up to the Celtics have gotten much better as they've gotten healthier. I don't think Atlanta's a 500 team either. So stacking up these wins now would do a lot towards the end of the season. Like you don't have to go out and just be beating these like elite teams that are near you in the standings every single time in order to like hold on for dear life, basically, because that's basically what they had like the situation they forced themselves into last year. And they kind of couldn't do it down the stretch because they weren't healthy at all. But even if they were like, that would have been a very difficult proposition. So very, not very important stretch here. You got anything else? We, uh, we're going to let the people on their, on their merry way for our first episode back from at the hive in about a month. We'll, we'll get back on a, on a regular schedule here as well. We're not, we're not going to take another month off for. No, absolutely not. Last thing I just want to touch on is, I, I know some people, some loyal listeners will have been sad for us to be away. But all I will say is, hey, there's been some great Hornets podcasts out there this year. And mm-hmm. if you've been wanting to get your fix, you've been able to find them, whether it's Locked On, Busby, um, 11th Pick Podcast. I see that's getting rebranded today. Yeah, right Dylan, yeah, Dylan Jackson and Steve just yep. restarted that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I'm sure there's other pods out there. I'm forgetting people, so sorry. But um at like this Sam Farber's one that he's doing. Um, yeah, there's loads. I listened of stuff to out a there. Hornets game on the radio the other day, like for the first time in a while. Sam yeah. is Sam is really good. First of all, 
but it's just it's fun to listen to basketball games on the radio. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but I I just I've always enjoyed that. I love radio. I love yeah. listening to any sport on the radio. I think there's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I just absolutely love listening to sport on the radio. It's not something I get to do that often uh, from for for NBA, but I love like we'll listen to like cricket and football on the radio. Absolutely love it. So yeah, yeah. good putting on the bas- put on basketball games while you're driving around in your car is a one of my favorite pastimes. I would I would have to say, but. Yeah. All right. We uh, we'll let the listeners go. I think that's all we've got for today's episode of At the Hive Live. I'm Chase. I'm here with my co-host James. We will be back. I don't know when our next episode will be, but it'll be next week at some point after this next stretch of games here. And then uh, we'll we'll see what we have to talk about. Well, I, I do you think this roller coaster ride is going to continue, or are we just going to lose? Like we're going to go four and zero, and then zero yeah. and four for like this, the whole year. This team is young. It's oh, going to yeah. be pulling your hair out a minute and then you're going to be ecstatic the next that inconsistency just get used to it as i'm going to say just get used to it all right yep so right now the hornets are going to the nba finals we'll have to see where we're at in a week so all right thank you guys for bearing with us here and we will see you guys soon